Thank you, sir. Um, brothers and sisters of Christ, good to be with you this morning. Um, you do need an outline. I'm going to give a little caveat here. Uh, a couple of things. Number one, I'm the head of school at Sharon Hills Christian School, so I'm a teacher. I still teach classes here. So, oh, wow, thank you. That's nice. Um, so I, I'm actually, you know, I, I'm a little more of a teacher, okay? So forgive me if I, I sometimes sound more like a teacher than, than a pastor, because that would be true. Um, and then um, also you do need uh, your outline. You're going to see there's no blanks there. But as I mentioned last time, if you um, write, whoever writes the most on the side, I have a prize for you. Okay, so just, just throwing, that, throwing that out there. Um, now, Pastor Andrew, um, you know, he, he takes a long time to go through that, right? How long was the book of John? Like years? So here's my chance to move it forward and go, f- I mean, he took four parts just on, you know, there's, there's 12, uh, it's, it's what, six verses, and he did four parts on that. So this is my chance to move us forward. I'm sorry, I'm just doing one verse today. So no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be not only just as bad, I'm going to be worse. Um, bear with me, though, it is the Word of God, and we're in First John chapter 5, um, and uh, verse 13 through 15. Now, uh, very quickly, the title is Full Faith in the Name of Jesus. We're going to break down what that actually means, and I hope you learned something new today uh, in this process. Um, We first must remember what we've been, our review, right, that uh, Pastor Andrew was going through 1 John 5, 6 through 12, and, uh, you know, the synopsis was it was a correct view of Jesus, of who Jesus is, is absolutely essential to salvation, You've got to know who Jesus is in order to be saved. If you don't understand that, the salvation won't come. You won't, it won't make any sense, and, and you've got to question uh, where you are in your salvation. But that's, if you don't know what I'm talking about, then go on the, the app, go on the church website, and, and watch those other messages, those four messages, um, to catch up. But uh, I'm going to be jumping into 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 through 15. So uh, let's go ahead and read that this morning. Um, I'll read this to us. Uh, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests uh, that we have asked of him. Um, I'm going to be focusing largely on that very first verse, that that one that's highlighted in your notes. Um, that, that is where we're going today. Um, so, uh, narrow it down. I write these things to you who believe. Let's break that down. I'm going to break down three sections of this verse today. So, let's start with the first one. I write these things to you who believe. So, who's John writing this to? To believers. Uh, question, is there a difference between believers and non-believers? Yes. Um, there should be. If you claim Christ and yet you are acting like you were as a non-believer or those around you are acting, that should be, a, like we would say, a red flag. That should be a big warning to you. Now, um, we, are, we are saved by grace. And we're going to talk about that today and be reminded of that. But, but if, if you're a believer, there should be something different about us compared to the world. So when, I get, when we're talking about the unification of faith affirmation, I'm really focusing in this verse more about the unification of believers. But before I get to the universe, just, just as a quick, before we get to the, what, what brings us as believers together in unity, let's not forget that 
as a believer, we should be different than non-believers. Amen? Okay, read the book of James or go back and watch the sermon series on that. Um, that really does a good job of, of, of putting that uh, perspective on. Now, the unification of faith affirmation. Um, first off, I mean, if we're looking at this from a literary standpoint, although this is the word of God, right here, John is, is identifying his audience. He's saying, this is who I believe, or this is who, these are the believers I'm speaking to. I'm speaking to believers. Um, you know, as Christians, we can't be surprised when non-believers act like non-believers. Do you, do you ever go there and you're shocked? You're like, I can't believe that person did that. I remember thinking that way. I'd be in the store or I would be somewhere and I'd like, I, I can't believe I can't believe You know, I, I personally got a lot more peace and ability to just function in this crazy thing we call South Florida, um, which I've been here my whole life. So pray for me too. But, but, but when I, instead of, I can't believe you know, that, that person clearly needs Jesus, right? We live in a place where the, the non-believer and the believer, it, it's apart. I was in Starbucks a month ago, and I don't drink coffee, but my family does. Colombian, I guess. That's why. And so uh, they like their coffee. Um, and so, you know, I, the person in front, and, but I get the pleasure of paying for it for my family. And, 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 and I'm watching this, and, and I'm next in line, and it's, all, and it's been, you know, and, and by the way, can I just say this while I've got you? Everybody is short-staffed. As Christians, let's show some love. Everywhere you go, they're short-staffed. Let's show some, uh, you know, the, the retail people in the room are going, thank you. You know, but, you know, but man, this lady in front, of the, in front of me just started yelling and screaming at the clerk because she wasn't doing it quite the way she wanted, and I'm thinking to myself, hey, that's not accomplishing anything. Um, there is this, this Florida mentality, but I mean, we're not, it's because we're largely New Yorkers, that, that if you just yell enough, you'll get what you want. And that, that's not, there are moments to raise your voice in, in, in defense of something that's morally repugnant, right? I mean, that, in righteousness, but, you know, treat, treat people right. And, and so I'm looking, I, I was next in line, I'm like, I'm so sorry about that. How can I, this is what we would like, and my, my, my kids are going to keep it super simple. So, because, you know, I'm going to make the order simple. They go through enough. But I'm not shocked that that person was yelling because she's clearly a non believer and she needed Jesus. And I, I probably should have just turned and talked to her right away, right? Um, but non believers and believers, different camps. So, John is saying, I'm writing to those who believe. So, he defines the audience. Number two, um, let's talk about the challenges of the faith then and now, okay? So, Back in the time of, of John and in that first century, there was a lot of different faiths fighting for the hearts of the people. Um, Christianity was the new kid on the block. You, of course, lots of early Christians were Jews, and then they're hearing Judaism plus this new modern Judaism that was coming out. The Roman Empire, sorry, the history teacher's coming out of me. You had the Roman Empire, which was in its heyday, really, it was decline was was within 150 years away, but you know they're like, do we become Epicurean? Do we become Stoic? These will solve our problems. And Apostle Paul flatly says they're both wrong. Um, so you know, there even in Jesus' time, there were challenges to belief. It wasn't like being a Christian in Tennessee, right, where you're like, oh yeah, Bible Belt. Um, so in Jesus' time, he had those those challenges as well, um, and. Um, 
temptation. You know, one of our big issues here in America, when you think of what are the challenges to our belief and our faith, I mean, our sin, right? Our temptations of the world. And, and temptations can come in different forms. There's the actual sin that we know is sin and we know we must resist and sometimes we fail and have to go to God for repentance. There's also the distractions, things that are good. Maybe they're not a bad thing, but maybe we're giving it too much precedent over God. Do you know what I mean by that? Like you can do something good too much and not put your focus in Christ and it can distract you from Christ. So, you know, we're going to go to the table here in, in a few minutes and, you know, that's the one of those one of the greatest things about sharing the cup and bread of Christ is, is to refocus ourselves, right? To push those distractions out and say, look at the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Today, some of our other challenges, alternative worldviews. When I grew up, everybody was worried about what religion were you? Um, we were having the wrong discussion. There, people aren't leaving the faith for other religions, they're leaving for what's called secular humanism and all these other things that Meg Todd can describe better than me, uh, take his class. Um, well, I guess you have to be a 12th grader, but you really should uh, ask Mike about that. Um, and he'll walk to, but secular humanism is this idea that you are your own God, that you make your own truth. It's, it's this stuff that's been out there um, that's pulling people away from all faiths um, because it's appealing. That's, that's a worldview we need to reject if we are believers, as John is calling, if, we, if we're the audience that John is speaking to, we should be pushing away those alternative worldviews. And how about this? Our other one is pride. Sometimes the biggest reason we don't want to believe in Christ is because I want it my way. I want to do it this way. I want to be number one. And if I'm following Christ, then I can never be number one. God is number one. And, and we're one in Christ. So there, we, we must check our hearts on that. So those are the challenges of belief. And then, you know, this is a unifying statement for all believers. This is a big deal because in, in Jesus' time and then as the apostles are writing, there was a lot of division within the Christian faith in some ways. Um, you know, there, you had Jews. You had Jews who were becoming Christians um, you th think about Stephen when he gets pulled in front of, uh, you know, the, the judgment to, and he ends up, we know what happens to Stephen, right? He ends up stoned uh, and to death. One of the reasons Stephen was stoned to death is he was, he, he was a Hellenistic, you know, Greek-leaning Jewish believer. And you're saying, well, isn't that kind of ridiculous? Yes, it was. So there were many divisions within Jesus' time and the time of the apostles where they're sitting next to each other and arguing about this and arguing about that. And who has the right belief and who has this? And, and here's John bringing it together, unifying everybody and saying, what, what, what's important here? Um, now, now, do we have divisions today? I mean, Jesus' time, there was the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Essenes and a bunch of other Cs, Right? Today, do we divide ourselves? There's a, you know, we're a nation of immigrants, so obviously we come with automatic divisions somewhat, especially here in South Florida, but we can call ourselves by a political party. We can call ourselves by the shows we watch. Or, uh, you know, I do question the salvation of Jets fans as a Dolphins fan. I'm sorry, I'm sorry to make it trivial. 
But, you know, you know it sounds crazy because, you know, we, we think how crazy football fans are here in America. And then you think about Europe, where if you wear your club out on the street, you can get beat up. Like, like to death. I mean, people are so crazy about things and, and entire divisions based on that that are like hardcore. And, and, and yeah, I mean, there are, there are, there are football, I'm sorry, I do like soccer. There are football clubs in Europe that hate each other because their cities have hated each other for 150 years over trade rights. And they still argue about that. And when they wear their jersey, they're wearing it in defiance. I mean, these kind of divisions can creep in here. It should not creep into the body of Christ. Okay, we can't allow that to happen. Galatians 3, uh, 26 to 29. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Paul's writing this. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ that put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. When you read Paul, understanding that he's a Jew, you realize this poor guy was trying to bring together all of these different factions. And he's like, why are we arguing about this? We're one in Christ. In the end, that's what we are. And our differences of the world are minuscule and minor compared to that which unifies us in Christ. Does that make sense? So John's saying this to his audience at that time of believers. Ladies and gentlemen, maybe we need to hear that today, um, this morning. Real quick, belief in the name of the Son of God. Belief in the name of the Son of God. So in the name of, so it says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That is not a flippant statement, a quick throw out there. there there's deep-seated reasons for John saying this. First off, names and titles are important. Names and titles are important. Uh, now, I kind of love my mom, but she gave me this name. My middle name, which I won't admit in public, is uh, it's Albert. But, you know, it, it just, forgive me, I, can't, I grew up and Fat Albert was the number one cartoon show. So having that as my middle name at that same time wasn't really helpful. Uh, but my mom, so that's my, I guess that's, a, that's my father's, grandfather's name. But my first name was, Mom, what does my name mean? Did you give me purpose in my name? She goes, I gave it to you so nobody could make fun of you. Because, you know, people tease based on the names. And I said, Mom, did you realize my last name is Spee? Speed likes to go pee pee wee wee in this pee. Just imagine how great preschool was for me, okay? So, you know, I, I, my wife and I had a lot more intention with our, with our kids' names. We were like, we're going to give them names, you know, so you want some entertainment? Ask my sons what their middle names are and why. Um, it's, it's, it's just a long, interesting story. But we wanted them to have names of purpose. So, names and titles do matter. Now, the name of God is important uh, because of what it means. Um, the actual name of God in Hebrew, in Hebrew, yud Hey vav Hey, Yehovah, right? The I am, of, of, and it's deeper than that. It's I am and will always be. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. But, you know, the name of God was actually so... Holy and, and 
rightfully so, that substitute names were used in Hebrew. So you'll get words like Hashem, which is just Hebrew for the name. So if you hear someone say Hashem, especially around here in our Jewish community, they'll say Hashem. It just means that that's, they're saying God without saying the name of God because they would feel overwhelmed to say the name of God. So they just say Hashem. They'll also say Adonai, which is Lord in Hebrew. But, um, and, and so much so that people, because Hebrew doesn't have vowels in, in the original Hebrew, so people kind of forgot how to say the name of God because the only way you know how to read Hebrew is to say it over and over again because of all the missing pieces. And when people didn't say God's name, they forgot. But, you know, understandably, it's, he's, it's the name of God, right? Um, now, when John says, son of God, son of God, this is Jesus' title. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. Uh, it's, it's his title, and it automatically defines his divinity. It holds him up and says, he is divine. He is of God. When I say son of God to you, I would hope the only thing you think about is Jesus. I would hope that you're like, yeah, nobody else in America is running around going, I'm the son of God, I hope. And if they are, they're wrong. Okay, no argument there. But in time of Jesus, there were people who claimed to be the son of God in that time of history, right? Caesar Augustus, who was only dead probably 60 years about the time John's writing, was, had, had said, oh, I'm, I'm the son of God, right? It was a pretty popular, Alexander the Great, all these they wanted to be these things. When Jesus is the son of God, it's not a shared title with these other individuals. It is, no, he is the only son of God, amen? And it was a clear definition between him and these historical figures that did it so in their own crazy way they could seem immortal, uh, which by the way, they didn't. They all died and none of them resurrected. Jesus did. So, so son of God, clear title. Jesus, you know, is the Greek. Pastor Andrew talks about this all the time. It's, the Hebrew word is Yeshua. If you would have heard, if you would have seen Jesus in real time, it would have been Yeshua. The God saves. And not the generic small g God. I mean the actual name of God, Yudhe It would be Jehovah saves. Uh, clear, clear there. And not a lot of people walked around with that name back then. Um, despite uh, some precedent in the Old Testament, it, it made... Uh, Jesus clearly uh, the son of God and that his role was God in the flesh. So let's talk real quick here. Although Jesus, son of God, is unifying for Christians, and it should be, okay? The Pres- St. Andrew's Presbyterian down the road, you know, I, I live in Pembroke Pine, so there's, Flam- have anybody dri- driven up Flamingo Road north and south? It's church road, right? Denomination here, you know, if they're a Christian and true Bible-believing church, The idea that Jesus is the Son of God should be a unification between us all, even if we have some disagreements on other areas. But for the rest of the world, Son of God is a word that divides Jesus and Christians from others. It's a divisive term, and and God intended it that way. Um, Sorry, the history teacher, again, coming out at me. You know, in Arabic, they'll say the word for God is Allah, Right? And in the Islamic faith, that's what they would say. Allah in Arabic is not God like lowercase g. Okay? It's a specific God, even if in Arabic it can also be used as generic word for God. Does that make sense? 
When you're reading the Old Testament, you know the difference when they capitalize Lord, right? That means it's the name of God versus when it's not capitalized, it's like the, the, the common name for God, El. Allah is a specific God. Trace it back to the moon gods of the Sumerians. Matter of fact, if you're in my Genesis class, that'll be uh, next week or the next one after that. We'll be going over that. Um, so, you know, Jesus says the Son of God is not the same thing as an Allah. You understand? The characteristics of Allah is not the same as the God of the Bible, the true God. It's not the same. Okay? So understand the difference in those, those things that when you're out in the world, they're going to want to tell you it's all the same. It's not. Look into it. And, and that's we're here to help you as well to understand that. Also, Jesus, Son of God, it elevates him beyond teacher. So in our secular humanistic world, what are people, what do people want to do with Jesus? He was a great what? Teacher. He was a great teacher. He was a good man. I don't want to, I only, that means, you know what, I want to follow, that's code for I want to follow the parts of Jesus that I like, not the part that I don't want to do. Like follow him and give my life for him if called. Give up my sin for him. Right? So, so being Jesus, son of God, elevates Jesus beyond that teacher role. So anybody who tells you that Jesus is just a great teacher, they're not reading the Bible. It goes back to C.S. Lewis, classical plug. It goes back to C.S. Lewis, right, who, who, who famously said that Jesus was one of three things. Remember what those were? He was either a lunatic who was a crazed homeless man running around saying crazy things. He was a liar because he was smart but was somehow manipulating things so he could be in glory on earth, which, by the way, he didn't. Muhammad died in control. Muhammad was an orphan who died the dictator of a small nation. Jesus was born poor. He died poor, as was prophesied, as was the plan all along. So, he was, you know, he, he, he's a liar if, when he says he's son of God, he's to be our atonement. He's either a lunatic, he's a liar, or he's, there's only one other alternative. He's Lord, meaning he is exactly who he says he is. Okay, that's it. Those are the three, three options. So um, what does all that mean? We put all that together. John is saying, I'm talking to believers I'm talking, I'm talking about the divinity of Jesus Christ, that he is the Messiah, he is the Son of God. He is, uh, we're unified in that. And then he says these beautiful words that, of you know, eternal life for those who believe. He says these beautiful words that you may know that you have eternal life. So he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the, of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, you hear from this pulpit all the time. You'll have eternal life if you believe in Christ. Absolutely. You have to understand that in the time of John, there was so many, again, you talk about those strange belief systems that were there, right? I mean, we still have weird belief systems. There are people who will say they're going to come back as something else. They're going to say, you know, oh, I just go to dust. I mean, there's all these crazy things now. But even in the time of the first century, there was a change in the idea of the, of the afterlife, and, and, and it's this Jewish idea of eternal life, like it was called Sheol, 
That's the actual word, Sheol. Now, if you go to the Old Testament and you see the word Sheol, it just means the afterlife. That's just what it means. It, just means it was just very simple, the early parts of the Old Testament. Then you start getting to that time of Jesus. And again, you start having rabbinical people, rabbis who are perverting the Old Testament and coming up with their own ideas and saying they're the ones who know. And Sheol instead becomes this horrible place for the dead. It's even called a Hades in certain parts of the Bible. You know, it's kind of mixed with that in the later parts of the Bible. So this Hades meaning hell. Um, and, it, and so if you're a first century person hearing this, that John's writing to, you can honestly sit there and say, wow, you're talking something I've never heard of before. I thought I just died. I thought I just died. And they were obviously followers of God who all throughout the Old Testament time knew that faith in God meant they would spend eternity with him. They knew that because they read the whole Bible. Matter of fact, if you uh, look, the, idea, the first century idea of Sheol wasn't really even biblical. In the book of Ecclesiastes, for one of many examples, the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Okay? So this whole idea that John's writing, as so many people there would have heard, that there's no... There's nothing really after this. And he's writing, those of you who believe in the Son of God, that you may know what? Eternal life. That's radical. That was radical at that time for many of them. Not everybody, but for many people who were there. The belief in Christ Jesus is the key to unlocking that salvation. John's making that abundantly clear here. It can't be missed. You know, we do John 3.16, and that, you know, that's sort of the thing they put up at football games, right? Because it's so clear. This is just as clear, right, as John 3.16. I write these things to those who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. It's belief in Christ that gives us that eternal life. That's the key to unlocking salvation. This made Christianity so radical in that first century and so appealing. My friends... My brothers and sisters in Christ, one thing that can happen to us 2,000 years later is we hear it so much, we hear it so much, that we forget how important it is. And we minimize the gift of eternal life from Christ Jesus. Oh, we think about it at funerals. Oh, we think about it when we get a bad report from the doctor. And, the, you know, it's the old, are you only caring about God when you're married and buried? You or somebody else is being married and buried, right? Those are the cultural Christians. Or are you living every day understanding that belief in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross, the atonement that he did on the cross for our sins, and then resurrecting from the dead three days later, pays for our sins so we spend eternity with him. That should never get dull to us. That should never be minimalistic to us. That should be something that, that just resonates with us at all times. And, and, and I know we're humans, and that's difficult to do. You know, I, I talked about it last time I was up here. You know, Psalm 51. Uh, Create in me a new heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. So sometimes we have to say, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. I can't forget that you're the one who saves and gives us that eternal life. So can we be assured of our salvation? 
Can, we, can you sit there today or online and say, I am saved. I know that I know that I know that if something happened to me today, that I'm going to spend eternity with him. Now, if you've walked through that with a pastor and you've given your life to Christ, I mean, you're, you're in a good place. If you're growing in the word, um, actually one of the best books about sort of self-evaluation uh, of, of, you know, am I saved, which I, I don't want to create, uh, none, of, none of the pastors want to create a world where as our congregation, we're constantly like, am I saved, am I saved, am I saved, am I saved, am I saved? I mean, there are things that can answer that question. Um, you know, Tom Elliff, who was up here just a few weeks ago, uh, he wrote a fantastic book that's in our bookstore. I, I can point it out to you, but um, I give it out to our students when they're having that, that doubt. I say, hey, read this, five things that help you, uh, you know, know, are you growing in Christ? Are you, you know, are you assured of your salvation? If you've gone through that process and you know that you are saved in Christ, that should be something that is transformative. That should be something that impacts the way we talk, the way we act with others. It should be something that makes us believers so different from the non-believers, especially today in a non-Christian world. So let's go back to the original verse. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. John is making it abundantly clear here, the path to salvation. Believe in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and you have eternal life. Of course, what are, we, what are those things that remind us of that? You know, if we have that, that, you remember the old, if you're my age, maybe a little older, that great old hymn, Blessed Assurance, Right? Assurance, this idea, if, you don't, if, if English is not your first language, assurance, the idea that we know, that we feel comforted by our knowledge, that we are saved. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. If we believe that, then what comes out of our lips next? This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior When? This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. So, so my final challenge, who do you believe in, where will you spend eternity? Is this your song, is this your story? So there's two of you here, there's two people in this room, kinds of people. You're either saying to yourself, I'm not saved, I don't know what you're talking about. Eric, I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, don't leave today without going to these prayer corners and talking with pastors or deacons in the life of the church, who, are going, who can walk you through that. That is so essential. Don't walk out today knowing whether or not you have eternal life. And then for the rest of us that have that blessed assurance, let it be on our lips. Let it be in our behavior. Let it be how we treat others. Let, it, let us be the light, right? This little light of mine. I'm going to let it. That's two songs today. Uh, uh. Is this your story? Is this your song? May it be that today. Let's pray. Abba, our Father, the one true God, the God who loved us so much that he sent his son not just to be a teacher but also to die on the cross to atone for our sins and then to resurrect to show his power over death. Lord, 
I thank you for your word, for your assurance of our salvation, that, Lord, these things are clear, that these things are in your word, unmistakable. Lord, may we respond to this. I pray, Lord, if it be your will, that you call people in this very room right now to repentance, to others, that you call them to a, a knowing, a, an acceptance of Jesus for the first time. Lord, may we not go throughout our day ignorant of your, of your salvation and, Lord, without having praise of your name for the eternal life that comes through you. Lord, I pray right now, even for little Sava, who while hunkered down in Ukraine, I pray that he remembers the gospel he heard at Sheridan Hills Christian School. That, Lord, he, he and his family turn to you during this difficult time. Lord, even as we, in our materialism and in our, our blessing here in America, Lord, as we think our problems are, are sometimes big like cancer, and, but sometimes, Lord, it's just I didn't get my order right. Lord, may we keep our eyes fixed on you on what really matters. So the Lord, those of us who you've called to be believers in the Son of God and have that eternal life, that we may be that light to others. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.